to read the, the scripture passage for today. It's coming from uh, Mark chapter 5, and it's verses 21 to 43. And when Jesus had crossed again the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by the name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had, been, who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they had said, uh, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear and only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was of 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them to, um, that no one should know of this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. And uh, I, I should just begin by telling you that uh, um, just over a year ago, uh, when our first lockdown happened, um, on that first lockdown, uh, I was asked to preach in the first morning of that lockdown. And uh, here we are again, and uh, lockdown Doug is back. <laughs> um, there's been a lot of changes, as uh, Pastor Marvin mentioned. Uh, when I first came here uh, a year ago, we had uh, a, a little system rigged 
with, the, with an iPhone on a tripod uh, on a chair. And it was all very precarious. Uh, but now we, have, now we have wonderful new uh, cameras that are taking it all in, so we're thankful for that. But we are also missing all of you. And so let's pray, let's all of us pray that uh, the pandemic will soon end. Uh, well, before, we, before I get into the sermon, uh, let's just take time to, to turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word to us. We thank you, Lord, that you have something to say to each one of us today. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are soft so that we can allow your voice to sink in and change us so that we become more and more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Are you hungry? Well, get ready to eat this morning because God's word is coming to us in the form of a sandwich. That's right. It's coming to us in the form of a faith sandwich. When Mark was putting his gospel together, he had a variety of incidents and episodes and stories from the life of Jesus, many, most of which had been given to him by Peter. Peter, who was Jesus' closest disciple, or one of Jesus' closest disciples, who had eyewitnessed everything that Jesus had done throughout his ministry. And so Mark had all these incidents and all these different fragments of stories and so on, and he, he had to put them together. How would he do that? How could he do that to the people that would be reading uh, what he wrote? And those people would be, for the most part, people who were not Jewish. How could he put it together in a way that would make be clear to them and make them understand what he wanted to tell them, make them understand the message of the gospel? Well, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Mark often used a technique, a technique of inserting one story into the middle of another story in a way that made both of these stories more understandable. At least nine times in the book of Mark, Mark uses this technique. Uh, they begin with a slice of the first story, then the middle part is filled with a second story, and it finishes with the last slice of the first story. Do you see? Just like a sandwich. A slice of one, a different filling, and then a slice of the first one again. And so today's scripture is 
what's sometimes called a Markin sandwich. That is, a sandwich from the book of Mark. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. But before we take our first bite, there's just one more thing that I want to mention to you. And that one more thing is that we identify sandwiches, when you think about it, we identify sandwiches not by the bread on either side. We don't call them bread sandwiches. We identify them by the filling. It's either a cheese sandwich or a peanut butter sandwich or a ham sandwich, depending on what the filling is. And so, and so, although the slices are really important, the filling is what's key. It's how we identify the sandwich. So keep that in mind as we look at today's scripture reading. Well, today's reading begins as Jesus gets out of the boat on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. This was an area where many Jewish people lived, and word of the miracles which Jesus had been performing had spread. And so people were coming from far and wide to see Jesus. When Jesus got out of the boat, he was greeted by a large crowd, and they were, they were swarming all around him. And suddenly, a man walked right through the crowd, a man who seemed to be important and came right up to Jesus. His name was Jairus, and he was one of the rulers of the synagogue. He wasn't a rabbi, he wasn't a professional clergy, but he was a lay official. And his job was to oversee the synagogue, to make sure that everything was running as best it could possibly run. And he also had to look at one of his jobs was to ensure that the scrolls on which the scriptures were written, that they were, that when they wore out, he would find new scrolls so that, so that the word of God could be heard in the synagogue each week. Jairus was well known. He was well known in his community. He was a religious man. He was a pious man. And he certainly was a man who was prominent and wealthy in the community. But as soon as he got up to Jesus, do you know what he did? He fell down. He fell down on his knees and he said to Jesus, my little daughter is on the verge of death. Come, please come, Jesus, and lay your hand upon her so that she may live. And so Jesus went off with Jairus. That's the first scene. That's the first slice, if you will. Well, next comes the middle, the middle section. We're not told how far it was to Jairus' house, but one thing we do know, one thing is certain, is that there was this large group of people who went along with Jesus and Jairus. Wherever they went, a crowd followed. They had heard of the miracles of Jesus, and who knows, perhaps they were thinking, if they stayed close enough, they might see a miracle too. One preacher describing this event said, at the time Jesus was 
a bit like a rock star. The crowds, wherever he, wherever he went, they milled around him. Everyone wanted to be close to him. They wanted to be close to this miracle worker. And that day, in the crowd, there was a woman. Unlike Jairus, she was not a person of consequence. She isn't even given a name in today's scripture reading. From the world's perspective, she was a nothing, a nobody. What's worse, she had a sickness, an ailment. She had a gynecological problem which caused her great distress. A discharge of blood that would not stop. And what was more, she had had this ailment for 12 whole years. No doubt there was all kinds of physical pain involved in this, but worse than that, she also was suffering financially. You see, she'd gone from doctor to doctor to doctor, and they all took her money. They all took her money till there was no money left. And she still wasn't well. In fact, she was worse after they took all her money than she was before she even began. But perhaps the worst part of all, the worst suffering that this woman had, was that she was, because of her ailment, she was made a social outcast. You see, according to the Jewish customs and the Jewish laws of those days, there were all sorts of things that could make you unclean. If you touched, for instance, uh, a dead body, the person of someone who had died, that made you unclean. You can read about all these various things in Leviticus chapter 15. And another thing that made people unclean was even a monthly period made a woman unclean. But this, this discharge of blood on this particular woman never stopped for 12 full years. She was considered unclean all the time. As a result, she wasn't she couldn't possibly go into the synagogue. And it was out of the question she would never be allowed in the temple. And everywhere she went, all the time, everywhere, she wasn't allowed to touch anything or anyone because if she did, everything and everyone she touched would be unclean. She couldn't have a husband. She couldn't have a family. She couldn't have friends. Everything she touched, every chair she sat on, every bed she slept on was considered unclean. She had to stay away from everyone. She was a social outcast. What an existence. Can you imagine? What a, what a horrible existence. Her situation was desperate. But she had heard about Jesus. She had heard that he brought healing. She had heard that he was a miracle worker. And so she thought to herself, if I can just touch, if I can just touch the edge 
the hem of his garment, then I will be made well. And so she, she mingled herself into the crowd that day in a very nonchalant kind of way. She was trying to get close to Jesus. She didn't come up, up to the front like Jairus had done. She came up behind him, came up behind him in the crowd, just so he wouldn't notice. And she reached out. She reached out. She touched his garment. And in that moment, in that instant, she was healed. She knew it. She could feel it in her body. The flow of blood had stopped. She knew immediately that she was healed. And Jesus also knew it. In that very same instant, Jesus knew that there had been a healing that had happened. He felt the power go out of him. Well, at this point, something really curious happened. Jesus asked a question, a question that surely must have surprised everyone who was there. Who touched my garments, Jesus asked. The, the disciples must have been dumbfounded. They must have been thinking, well, Lord, you're, you must be kidding. There's, 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 there's so many people pressing in all around. It could have been any one of them. There was no social distancing back then. This was a mob scene. People were jostling to get close to Jesus. All kinds of people in the crowd must have bumped elbows with him. The disciples were surprised at Jesus' question. They couldn't figure it out. But there was someone else who was even more surprised, maybe even shocked. Surely that woman wasn't expecting Jesus to ask that question. She just, wanted to, she just wanted to get her healing and get out of that crowd as fast as she possibly could and get back to a normal life. A normal life. After 12 years of being a social outcast, a normal life. How sweet that would be. So why did Jesus want to identify her. There were risks involved in all of that. Risks involved if people found out her condition. A woman in her condition was not supposed to be in that crowd. Her uncleanness would have made others unclean in that crowd. They'd be incredibly upset by that. If somebody put it, why didn't Jesus just Give her a wink and smile and let her go. Let her be on her way. He would know, she would know, that would be the end of it. Nobody needed to know. But obviously, Jesus thought differently. Who touched me, he asked. Well, one thing is certain. Jesus did not ask this question to satisfy his own curiosity. 
In fact, in fact, chances are he knew exactly who it was who touched him. Do you remember, this is in uh, Genesis chapter 3, do you remember how after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they hid from God. They were in the Garden of Eden, and the Bible tells us they hid in the trees in the Garden of Eden. And God was there looking for them. And the Bible says how God called out to Adam, Where are you? Adam, where are you? Do you think, do you think that God didn't know where Adam was? Of course he knew. This was God. He knew where, he knew where Adam was. God knew where Adam and Eve were hiding. But he asked the question because he wanted Adam and Eve to come forward and tell the truth about what they had done. Now, no sooner had Jesus asked the question, who touched me, than that woman came forward with fear and trembling, the Bible says, and we can understand why. And she fell at Jesus' feet. And notice this, the Bible tells us she told him the whole truth. You see, the Lord wants to have a personal relationship with his people. And any personal relationship worth its salt, any personal relationship of any real value, has to be based on truthfulness, the whole truth. J.I. Packer once said that a half-truth masquerading as the whole truth is an untruth. Consider a husband and wife who have all kinds of secrets that they keep hidden from each other. And they say, oh, I don't lie to my spouse. But neither do they tell the whole truth. That's not a healthy marriage, not a healthy relationship. The Lord wants a healthy relationship with each and every one of us. Jesus in John 10, 14 says, I know my own, and my own know me. To know the Lord and to be known by him. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. Nothing kept back. That's the relationship with God that he calls each of us to with him. And so Jesus called out that woman. She told the whole truth. And that moment became, as one commentator put it, a transforming personal encounter, not just a get-healed-quick scheme. How often do you and I Pray to the Lord. 
Pray for things, really good things. You know, like that, that job that we've always wanted. You know, that job, oh Lord, please. Please, Lord, that job is just what I've always dreamed about. It's the job of my, that I've always wanted. It, it, it just fits so perfectly, and I'd be great. Lord, please, can I have that job? Or someone we love gets cancer. And I pray, Lord, please. Oh, please, Lord, I'll do it. Please, heal them. Or there's that program that program at the university that it's really tough to get in. And if, if, if I could just get into it, do you know what? It would, it would mean that, it would mean I could really go places and it would, it would, be, it would be life-changing for me. Lord, please, please. Lord, you have the power. You have the power to give this to me. Please, just touch us with your power, Lord. That's all we want. How often... Do we look for a power relationship rather than a personal relationship? We go to the Lord and we ask him for something. And he wants to give us someone. He wants to give us himself because the truth of the matter is if we have him, we have everything. Well, this is what happened with that woman. She just wanted to get healed. Just wanted to be healed of her ailment. And she was. But she got so, so much more. Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. The word that's used here, made you well, in some versions of the Bible it says, you're Faith has healed you. But in the actual original Greek word, it is your, fi your, fa your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. She wasn't only healed. Better than that, she was saved. Daughter, Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. That is what it is to have saving faith. To know the Lord and to be known by him. The middle section of today's scripture, of today's sandwich, is about faith, saving faith. What this woman discovers is that for faith to be real, there has to be a transforming personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And in her encounter with Jesus, this woman discovers not just a truth and not just her truth, but she discovers the whole truth. She finds out that Jesus Christ is the truth, the whole truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, said Jesus. No one comes to the Father but by me.
In Rebecca McLaughlin's words, Jesus presents himself not as one possible path to God, but as God himself. That's the truth. And that is how we come to saving faith. To know God through Jesus Christ and to be known by him. If you are his and he is yours, no matter what life may throw at you, sickness, pain, death, you can know with assurance, with assurance that God in Christ has got your back. Be assured. Have this blessed assurance. You can have great hope when God himself has your back. And so as Hebrews 11.1 1 puts it, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Well, the final slice of today's reading takes us back to where we began with Jesus and Jairus on their way to see Jairus' daughter. And then there was this interruption of the woman. But now the servants of Jairus come running to him with the news, the sad news that the daughter of Jairus is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further, they say. In other words, they're saying it's game over. Jesus can't help anymore, they say. It's too late. Well, overhearing what these servants are telling, are, are telling Jairus, Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. That word believe has a sense of trust, have faith. Do you see, do you see what Jairus needed at this very moment? When this bad news came that his daughter was dead, do you see what he really needed? He needed the faith that that woman had. That's what he needed. He needed the faith of that woman. And friends, that's what you and I need too. That's what we need, the faith of that woman. But there's a pushback. There was a pushback against faith in Jesus. In fact, it was great back then, and it's still great today. The news of his daughter's death was obviously devastating to Jairus. If she was dead, what, what hope could there be? What was the sense of even trying to do anything? And when he got to the house, what did he find? But there were these professional mourners there. In, those, in that culture, there were people who went from house to house every time there was a death, and they brought out their flutes, and they played these very sad songs. And they moaned, and they cried, and they wailed, and they tried to encourage everyone else to feel sad. 
to recognize everyone in the house, to recognize it. Death had had its way. And they were there moaning and crying with all this sad news. And Jesus wanted no part of it, none of it. This child's not dead, he said. She's just sleeping. Ha! They laughed at him. They laughed. They jeered. Was this Jesus crazy or what? They knew. They knew death when they saw it. This, this, this girl was dead as a doornail. You see, what they didn't understand was that for Jesus, death has no hold on him. Death has no hold on Jesus. They didn't understand that. So Jesus cleared the skeptics out of the house. He brought his closest disciples and he brought the parents of the girl and he went into, they went in to see her. Jesus went over. He took the hand of the girl and he said to her, arise. And immediately, immediately, the girl got up and started walking around her bed. As COVID proves, we live in a time of sickness and a time of death. We live in a world where there's all kinds of fear and despair. Every day we hear about it on the news with the statistics of death both here and around the world. And the skeptics still mock and ridicule people who say that Jesus Christ is able to overcome in the midst of such a pandemic. But those of us who have a saving faith, who have had a transforming personal encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ, we know and we can affirm with certainty that Jesus Christ has defeated death. After all, we have met him. We have met him risen from the dead. And so we can say, we can say just as St. Paul said, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. With this saving faith, we can be sure that the same Jesus Christ who on her deathbed took the daughter of Jairus by the hand will also on our deathbed Take us by the hand and say to us, Arise. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, We thank you that you 
have overcome death, that you are the living Lord. Death has no hold on you or with you. And in you, in you, we, we find life eternal. In you, Lord Jesus, we find hope and assurance. And we know that you are the bringer of life. And because of that, we have nothing to fear. And so we praise your holy and wonderful name. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen.